Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey guys, and welcome to the Dog Speak podcast. I am Nikki Ivy, your host. I am thrilled that you are joining me to talk puppies, dog training, real life manners, and more. Be sure to check out our Facebook page as well as our website at dogspeak101.com. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Hope you're having a wonderful week. I hope you are staying warm. We are iced in here. Um, we are a little delayed on getting this episode out this week. You would think that we would not because we've been iced in, but we've just been doing a lot of things. I have personally been studying for my uh, nutrition certificate for dog food and dog feeding, and I'm just about done with that, and then I'm going to move on to the advanced nutrition. So that's what I've been up to this week. Britt, how's your week been? It's great. I mean, you've been so productive. I've cleaned some carpets. Yeah, that's something normal that happens in this house. If y'all have not figured out, our home office is at home. Um, so we do have, you know, the dogs with us all the time, and we're still able to get work done. I just can't get out to see clients this week. So um, some Zooms have been happening, uh, but even that is iffy because of the ice and the outages. The internet's, you know, out in some places yeah. and electricity. Luckily, we are not. So we are actually able to get our stuff done for this week, uh, which we're really excited. So last week, and I know y'all are excited to have Brittany back. Um, she's going to be on as really kind of a co-host today, not so much as a special guest. Um, we're really excited to have her. Uh, Britt, you got anything to say to all your fans out there? Oh, geez. No. <laughs> no, I don't know that I have fans. <laughs> I'm just guessing that you do. And if y'all love her, let, send us an email and let her know. Podcast at dogspeak101.com and let her know how amazing she is. All right. So last week we talked about fear and anxiety and, and phobias and how it really affects dogs and how it's something that we do not need to let dogs just continue to fester. Um, no one likes to live in anxiety. Um, I know I've had anxiety in the past. I've had panic attacks in the past. And it is one of the scariest things I think I've ever felt. But I couldn't imagine living that day in and day out. Uh, yeah, it's pretty horrible. 
Yeah, so Brit suffers from anxiety. Um, she has for quite some time, I guess. Well, I don't need to speak for you. No, it's fine. No, I I have panic disorder. I have for most of my life. It's, you know, you, humans can sort of, I think, uh, to some degree with, with help, get get that under control. It's a little more difficult for a dog because they can't exactly tell us what's up. Right, yeah, they. it's like they, they can't tell us, hey, I'm feeling really panicked. I feel like an exact, you know, I've got a lot of anxiety. I'm feeling stressed out or I have GI issues because I'm stressed out. Right. You know, so I think that it's important as as owners that we really pay attention to our dogs and we realize that the way that they are is not the way that they need to be and the way that they should stay. I know a lot of people, you know, at least in the, in the days when I first started training, people would talk about their dogs have anxiety, but that's just the way they've always been you know, since a puppy. Mm -hmm. And so they think that they have to live with that and that the dog has to live that. And that's not the case. So what we talked about last week was making sure that your dog is healthy, making sure that you've got all that anxiety under control um, and, um, and really helping your dog out and reading your dog and understanding what's taking place. Uh, But today I want to talk about one of those major symptoms, uh, the kind of the byproduct that you can get from anxiety, fear, phobias, a lack of confidence in general, and that is leash reactivity. We probably get more phone calls on leash reactivity than than probably anything else. Yeah, I mean, especially talking leash manners in general, that's usually the issue people are having. And not just that people are having leash reactivity where a dog is pulling to see someone or something because they're excited about it. it's more leash fear um, or fear on leash where the dog is lunging, barking, trying to bite uh, or is hiding behind the owner whenever a person or dog or vehicle approaches. Yeah. And and it's funny. You mentioned that a lot of, it is very different than dogs pulling out of excitement, but I find that a lot of times dogs that have leash reactivity the only negative association they've had on leash is when they got corrected by their owners for being excited and pulling towards right. another dog or person. Yeah. Right. So people see their dog pulling towards another dog, human, whatever the case may be, and they don't want the pulling. So they're correcting on the leash. They're yelling at the dog. They're trying to hold the dog really tight. Uh, they're preventing the dog from really using any real calming signals. And so in turn, the dog starts to learn that these people, these other dogs are really not a positive thing for them when the owner mm-hmm. is around, which is why a lot of times you get dogs who play wonderful with other dogs off leash and sometimes not in front of the owner versus dogs that absolutely do not want a dog or human approaching at all when on the leash and when the owner is present. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm totally guilty of this with Jake. Uh, you know, he, he can have some reactivity on leash not so much anymore now that he's almost 15, but, um, you know, let him off leash and, and he's good with other dogs. So I, you know, I don't know. I definitely contributed to that. Yeah. And we've talked about that in past mm-hmm. episodes where, you know, Jake was corrected when using tools that we should not be using and things of that nature, but we won't rehash that. But I do think that a lot of people almost get embarrassed when their dog is excited to see another person or another dog. And then they correct. And in turn, again, they're creating the leash reactivity out of fear. 
out of anxiety, out of a negative association. So it's a really a learned behavior that the owners are probably more than likely contributing to. Mm-hmm. So that is what we want to talk about today is kind of, you know, what is it? What causes it, even though we've kind of covered a little bit of that, and what you can do to really make a difference in your dog's life and just the leash manners in general. Now, we talked about, you know, some confidence building exercises in the past. We've talked about um, enrichment exercises, things that you can do. Um, but when it comes to leash reactivity, so many times um, we get people to call, and and I'm sure that Britt can probably explain this a little bit better because she takes all the calls but they call around usually shopping for training versus like board and train. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to send their dogs off for board and train for leash reactivity issues. And, yeah. you know, there's a real problem with that. And, and Brett, when people, when somebody calls you and says, hey, we're considering board and train. Do you guys do board and train? Mm-hmm. How is it that, that you communicate to them that board and train is not the solution for this or really any training You know, the number one thing I do is explain that most programs, at least in our area, and I'm I'm sure it's probably like this across the board, uh, use aversive techniques when training. Um, So one, the dog is put on a pinch collar, a shock collar to get them to walk correctly. Um, I explain that, you know, one, the dog's just avoiding the correction if they're walking well on one of those collars. Uh, and two, because of the pain associated with them, they're also also making the re- reactivity worse and the fear worse uh, because they're getting that shock or that pinch whenever another dog or another person's going by. So they're associating humans and other dogs with this pinch. So it's actually creating a negative association. Um, and I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. They don't realize that those tools are harmful and they're not actually teaching the dog anything except how to avoid the correction. So I do go into that. Um, and let's see what else. That's really it. It's just people. And also another important part of it too, is the bonding experience, uh, when training because you know you can send a dog off for a few weeks it responds well to that trainer and then you bring it home and it's not really doing anything for you um you know you need to learn how to uh manage the leash manage the walk the you know the the owner really needs to be involved in that process and that's something you don't get with board and train i think exactly because as we mentioned the handlers are typically part of the issue. They're the ones that kind of created mm-hmm. it inadvertently. They've created this. And the other thing with board and train or any type of aversive, and a lot of trainers um, that do board and train, they are focused on fixing the external behavior. And it's, you know, owners see this external behavior and they want to fix the external. So the trainer's like, yeah, we'll fix the external behavior. I can make sure your dog does not bark every time they see a dog. Mm -hmm. But that's not fixing the underlying issue, which is the fear and anxiety. So kind of help people understand a little bit. One, we don't look at external behavior. Um, If there's an external behavior, there's an internal Uh, reason for that. So we have to look at the internal reason in order to fix the external behavior. So let's say that we'll say, we'll use Britt as an example here. Uh, Let's say that Britt hates snakes 
and which I don't. No, she doesn't. But let's say she doesn't like snakes. Let's say that every time she saw a snake, she jumped and screamed and attempted to run away. Well, I could fix her external behavior. I could fix her from uh, screaming. I could prevent her from running away. Um, I could probably prevent her from jumping as well. Easily, I could fix the screaming. We'll take the screaming. I can fix the screaming by duct taping your mouth. Uh, that seems super abusive. So not appropriate. Pro- <laughs> um, maybe I shock you with a cattle prod every time you screamed when you saw a snake. So let me ask you this. You see a snake. I'm standing there. You scream. I shock you. Um, is that going to fix your scream? Well, sure. I'll yeah. quit screaming. That's not yeah. going to help me on the inside. Right. Also, I'm going to freaking hate your guts. Right, exactly. I'm just going to throw that out there. It, I mean, I, I have the ability to reason that way. I don't know. Does a dog have the ability to reason that no, way? No, I don't think they do. No, I think do they know that? I think that, they're so forgiving Yeah. that for them, you know, I think that over time it's definitely going to hurt the relationship. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's you're definitely, not only are you going to not like me, but here we've taken one trigger, okay, which is... The snake. So the snake is what causes you to scream. That is the first trigger. Now that I've associated pain Mm -hmm. and discomfort with the snake, I become the second trigger. Mm. So now we have trigger stacking. Oh, yeah. And we all know a lot about that from 2020. Exactly. Trigger stacking is a huge thing. And and I've been wanting to do a podcast on trigger stacking. And we may get into more in-depth trigger stacking. And maybe we'll have, you know, maybe I'll get a human therapist on and we can talk about trigger <laughs> yeah, stacking for we everyone should, we should do that right but it's it is true though so not only now is is the dog the trigger the snake the trigger sorry we're back at the we're still at the human the snake the trigger but now because i'm there i become a trigger so that means that the stress in your threshold is now i mean you are way over threshold at this point with two with two triggers so mm-hmm. what do we do to fix that well my first thing to change to fix the screaming of snakes, I have to look at that underlying issue, which is the fear, right? Mm-hmm. You have this fear of a snake. Well, if I focus on fixing your fear of the snake, not necessarily trying to get you to love snakes. My goal is not to have you uh, let someone put a snake around your neck, right? That's not my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal is to teach you how to um, appropriately behave when a snake is in view. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say that I start out and I use a distance of say 10 yards. Let's say that you're really comfortable at 10 yards with a snake. Right. And I can start at 10 yards and you don't scream at 10 yards with a snake, which is fantastic. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I can start rewarding you right there. I can every time the snake appears, I give you 100 bucks. I'm down with that. Right. It, it probably wouldn't take long for you are going to be like, I'm going to go searching for snakes and see if that works. But let's just say that you're in a situation to where you're, a snake is close. You scream. I still give you 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not rewarding your scream, especially if I don't give you 100 bucks when you scream and the snake is not mm-hmm. around. But if I associate every time a snake is in view, there is 100 bucks coming your way. I start to change your emotion to the snake, therefore Mm -hmm. eliminating the need to scream. That makes sense. Right? So, you know, 100 bucks to a dog. Maybe it's some, you know, yummy treats. Maybe it's a toy. Maybe it's playing tug. 
Uh, there are a lot of things that we can do. But the most important thing is we don't necessarily want to put you in a situation where you, you are going to be screaming around these snakes. I'd much rather put you somewhere where you're not screaming and you can actually accept the $100 that I'm giving you mm-hmm. almost immediately. So where if you're screaming, I have to get your attention. I have to try to give you the 100 bucks. So it's best to kind of keep you out of that, you know, under threshold so that you're not screaming at that snake. Yeah. So that is the biggest thing that we want to do is make sure that we are changing the behavior of um, or changing your emotion about snakes to change your behavior. Again, you may never love snakes. And of course, I'm probably talking more about myself because I'm not a snake fan. Yeah. But I'm, I also don't scream and run from snakes. But, you know, I, I could use 100 bucks every time I saw one. I would probably change my feelings about it. I'd probably start... Looking in the woods a little harder. Yeah. You know. All right. So let's take an example of being afraid of something. And we're going to, I always like to, to use human analogies because I think it just helps people get it a little bit more. So now we'll turn it around. And we're going to say that uh, Britt and I are out somewhere. And just so y'all know, and I know a lot of y'all know me and know that I love everything horror. I love scary stuff. I'm a huge Michael Myers fan, um, which is Halloween. Please, y'all, it's not the one with the hockey mask. Come on. <laughs> uh, right? Please yeah, don't do that. Not Friday the 13th. Not Friday the 13th. Um, but I'm a huge horror fan, and I love things scary. Now, I'm not as huge of a fan of real horror, like um, like a haunted house, like a real haunted house. I really thought I would be. Mm-hmm. But then I went to one, and it scared me really bad, and I didn't even want to spend a night in there. Um, so maybe I'm a little bit of a weenie underneath. I like kind of more of the fake horror. But to say all of that... Let's say, and this is kind of true. I don't like clowns. I I never thought they were fun. I never thought, yay, let's go to the circus and see a clown. The little Shriner clowns—they just scared the crap out of me. Um, I just don't like them. Mm-hmm. I just don't like clowns. So, let's say Brett and I are out somewhere, and a clown starts to approach. Now, if I'm able to move away from that clown, I'm going to. Right? I'm going to say. I'm, I'm going to be like, this way, and I'm gone, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just turning, and I'm going to ignore it to the best of my ability. But let's say that we see a clown, and as soon as we see the clown, Britt grabs me by the arms, and she will not let me run away. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> I just, I'm having a hard time with this analogy because I'm actually the one who will... <laughs> I guess I probably should have flipped those around since I don't like the snakes. You don't like the clowns. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry that is, about that. I'm deathly afraid of that. <laughs> all right, so we'll turn it around. So look at it. All right, Britt sees a clown. She sees it, and I grab her, right? And I'm holding her so she can't run away. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I'm probably going to punch you in the face. Exactly, right? There's going to be a fight that's going to happen. It's not going to between, be between you and the clown or even me and the clown that's scary. We're going to be fighting each other. Um, so that is the thing. What happens is if a dog is afraid of, let's say, a person, a dog is afraid of a, of a tall man, okay? Mm-hmm. And as this tall man gets in view, the dog starts to react and the human corrects it. So now we have our double trigger Mm -hmm. right so trigger stacking is taking place then on top of that as the tall man is approaching whether he's approaching or he's trying to walk past you hold the dog really tight on a leash and you pull them closer what's going to happen yeah 
And and we've had a lot of calls about this where the dog reacts in a very negative way toward its owner. Yep. Or, you know, the person handling the leash. Um, you know, my dog bit me. I hear that a lot while it was on leash. Well, you know, tell me what happened. How how did that happen? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's redirected lot. aggression. Mm-hmm. It's the frustration of the dog can't get to what it wants. It can't escape because you're holding it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has no choice but it'll turn around and bite the leash. It'll start biting arms and hands of the owner. Or if you have another dog with you, it will attack the other dog. Yeah. And it's not that the dog is being aggressive towards you, but it's the same situation as, you know, I would never punch Brittany. Unless she's holding me and a clown is approaching, I'm going to struggle my best to get away. And if I happen to elbow her in the stomach at the same time, well, not my fault. She shouldn't have been holding me. So I am not advocating um, any aggression or violence towards humans. Please know that. Disclaimer. Um, But I want you to understand that. Think about how your dog feels. Mm -hmm. How would you feel? Right? So to help you kind of see that. Um, Your dog's behavior and your behavior go hand in hand. So sending your dog off to suppress that fear and stop the external behavior of barking, lunging, screaming is not fixing anything. Yeah. All right. And then the triggers just get on. And then you, on top of that, the the cattle prod or the shock collar for the dog can actually be a third trigger. Mm -hmm. So um, that is something that we do really want to be careful of. So how do we fix this? Right. So, obviously it's not something I can teach you on a podcast episode on exactly how to teach this, but I am going to give you some guidance with this. Um, And the very first thing that we need to do is you need to identify the triggers, right? So with Jake, I would say that with Jake, whenever he was younger, he would get so excited about other dogs. He would bark, but then he would get frustrated because he couldn't get there Mm -hmm. because Jake has the best calming signals with dogs and he still does he's actually still really good with it even though his hearing and eyesight is is pretty bad but and if you guys have done our communication seminar you've seen jake in them with his circle Circle tail wag (laughs) his great calming signals with a scared dog but i think a lot of times jake was very frustrated Mm because he couldn't get to the dog so i don't know if we you know we can still call it a trigger Right, because it still changes the behavior in the dog. Yeah. So if you get something that's changing the behavior in the dog, uh, we're going to just call it a trigger. So first, you need to identify triggers. Right? Is it was like for Jake? Was it all dogs? Was it small dogs? Was it dogs just behind fencing? Was it dogs that were in a house? Mm -hmm. Those are important things to you know know because we don't know the triggers, then we can't avoid them, and then we can't counter condition them to change the emotion if we're not if we're not sure what they are. Mm And we can help you with that a lot of times, right? What do you think that when people call, what are some of the main triggers do you think that you're hearing specifically? Um, it's usually a certain neighbor um, or, or child, you know, we see because they're running and playing in the street, especially now when people are home a lot, um, kids playing outside is scary to some dogs um, or... Um, scooters, motorcycles, that sort of thing. Uh, men, uh, especially tall men. And possibly even now when people are dressing warmer with more clothes, hoods, oh, yeah. you know, things yeah. like that can be a little scary for dogs. But, but you know, triggers, that was a good point that you made with kids outside playing. Triggers aren't just, they don't just occur when the dog's on leash. Mm-hmm. A trigger could be the dog's looking out the front door 
right. and gets triggered by a kid. Right. So there, that's reactivity as well. Mm-hmm. It's just we handle it a little different than we would handle leash reactivity. And today we're just going to talk leash yeah. reactivity. But identifying the triggers on leash, very important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, large do- larger dogs um, are a trigger, especially if a dog has been attacked in the past. Mm, yes. Um, so when you're walking them, they're very hesitant around uh, larger dogs. Yes. Yeah, we do see a lot of those. Mm-hmm. A lot of those. I will say that, that a lot of times, and I would almost say maybe 25 to 30% of the time when I go to a client who has leash reactivity, it's actually not a fear-based, but an excitement, mm-hmm. which to me, I don't put the leash reactivity title on that. Mm-hmm. I don't name it that way. To me, it's just the dog doesn't know what to do in it's order to see. Manners. It's just leash manners in yeah. general. So the leash reactivity really is more about the fear, uh, the anxiety. And, and so what you want to do is identify these triggers that makes your dog change that behavior in a not so pleasant way. Some things that you might get. Um, deep barking. Uh, you might get hackles raised, which is the hair between the shoulder blades and the base of the tail. You may get some uh, some whining. Like Britt said, you might get a dog who, instead of pulling forward, is lunging forward and then moving backwards. Mm-hmm. Or barking, but moving back towards behind the owner. Or leaning up against the owner. So many times I get people say, oh, when my dog is on leash with me, he barks at other dogs. I think he's trying to protect me mm-hmm. when he's leaning up against them. I hate to tell you all that, but they're not protecting you. They're protecting themselves, yeah. right? Um, you just happen to be there and have the control of them getting out of that situation because you're the one that has them on a leash right. and they can't move without you. So um, identify that and start to see the body changes in your dog. Does the dog start getting stiff? Uh, does it go from panting to more like a statue? Does it go from uh, relaxed to um, stressful panting and um, you know increased heart rate where you're seeing the increased breathing, um, especially are you seeing that and it's not even warm outside? Mm-hmm. Right. These are some of the signs that you'll get uh, for the trigger issues and the anxiety and the fear that the dog is uh, showing. Y'all, we're sitting here and we can see outside our window and the snow is so pretty, but there was a four-wheeler that just went by and I was just, I didn't know if Brittany started laughing and she saw him go by. I don't know if he crashed or what. No, no it's, he just, just it's just reminiscent of my childhood in the snow, uh, like getting out on the four-wheeler and... She's from she's from the Appalachian so, Mountains, y'all. Uh, from was, North Carolina. It was just it was just real good to see that. It's all oh, I'm saying. I wish we had I wish we had one to go play right now. Um, so so we identify we identify the change in behavior of our dogs, and then we need to think about what would I rather see my dog do. Um, honestly, I don't really have any specifics on what I'd rather see my dog do. I'd, I want my dog to be relaxed, uh, calm, uh, be able to be responsive to commands. And, um, you know, just not stressed. I mean, truly, that's kind of the bottom line of that. So you notice I didn't mention anything. I don't want my dog barking. I don't want him lunging. I don't want him because that doesn't answer what we want. Right. When we talk about what we don't want, and I think Gray came up with this and I thought it was really good. Um, when when we talk about what we don't want, that's like me telling you what I don't want from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And then you get to go to the grocery store and figure out, try to figure out what I do want. So it's very important that we know what we'd rather see with our dogs. I do not think it's realistic every single time that your dog sees a trigger that your dog stops and sits and looks at you. I think that that 
um, may be okay in the short term. But I think for the long term, what when we go for a walk with our dog, what do we want to do? Walk. Exactly. We want to walk, right? We don't want to stop every time a car comes by. I thought maybe that was a trick question. Yeah, Sorry. no, right? Or we don't want to stop every time a dog approaches or is in view or a person, right? If we have to stop and sit and the dog face you every single time, you're never getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that that walk is no longer being a physical exercise walk. Right, which is fine because when we're dealing with triggers, you're not going to do that anyway. But it is, um, you know, we just want to be realistic on what it is that we want to see. Um, so before we can actually start working on the triggers themselves, one important thing is that your dog needs to learn some self-control. Right, and that inner self-control. And just because a dog is calm looking on the outside does not mean the dog is calm on the inside. Right, so you can see dogs that may be sitting there looking at something, looking calm, but again, you're seeing that increased um, breathing, heart rate. You're seeing the panting. You're seeing the ears going back behind their head, right? These are not signs of Mm self-control. So you'll want to make sure that you are really working on some good self-control exercises. And those are things that you can do um, with any time, just putting the leash on the dog. One of my favorite exercises is playing something like tug or chase and putting commands and responses in for that. So um, I know I started this with Isabella, but you continue to do this with like tug toys and stuff with Isabella. Oh yeah. It's our favorite. It's our favorite game. And she's, she's definitely become uh, more responsive. And uh, I, I hesitate to say the word calm because <laughs> you're right. Cause she's, she's, she's a high energetic dog yeah, anyway. Yeah. But um, I think that's been, especially with her, uh, her mouthing. She's a very mouthy dog. So uh, even at almost two years old, you know, that's something that we work on is, is her grabbing my hand instead of the toy, which is an accident. She's not meaning to do it, but we're still working on that as far as her self-control, paying attention to where her mouth is going. Yes. uh, When we're playing. So, you know, you can have a dog who is highly aroused and excited Mm -hmm. or just, we'll just say aroused, and still be responsive. To me, that shows inner self-control. Yeah. To me, that shows that a dog can still be responsive even when the energy level is up. And that's what you have to have. You have to have a dog who can be responsive. So, like, you know, we'll play tug and right in the middle of tug, and I'm talking, she gets involved. And actually, I think we have the video on the website, don't we? Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, I'll goodness. Have I have to look. I don't if not, I know it's on Facebook page. Yeah, I think it's on Facebook. Um, but, uh, and we'll probably add it to the Patreon page at some point. If, if we don't have it up, we'll probably put it on the Patreon page. Yeah. But it's it's about playing tug and right in the middle of that tug, just asking for a response that she should know. So like sit. Mm-hmm. Sit is a very simple one. Dogs are really good at that. Um, and then she'll sit and then we immediately start tug back. And so it just teaches the dog that, res- you know, responding to a cue does not necessarily end the game. Right. So, and we'll also practice our drop-its and stuff. So, that's one way to do self-control. And, again, look at some past episodes. We talk about these things. Um, so, there are definitely information out there from our past episodes. And, of course, I want the dog to learn some problem-solving skills, think for themselves, build some of that confidence up. Because if your dog is being reactive, then the confidence is dropped somewhere. Even though it can still be a learned behavior from the human, that confidence starts to drop. And so, we have to be careful there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course... What is the other most important thing about leash reactivity? Leash manners, right? If your dog cannot walk normal, 
and be responsive. When there are no triggers around, Mm -hmm. then you're in trouble, right? Then you can't work on the triggers. So many times people want me to come in and automatically start working on the triggers. Right. And the thing is that we don't have the foundation for that. So leash manners, very important. We teach the dog how to be on a relaxed leash. We teach the dog how to be responsive with our commands of let's go this way. Uh, We might put in some things like check-in to get the dog just to look back at us, just to break some unhealthy focus. There are a lot of things that we'll do with the leash, but we have to have those in place. And the biggest thing we have to have in place. Do you want to guess what the biggest thing we have to have in place with this leash? What is that? (laughs) Oh, I thought she would guess. We have to make sure that the human is not tightening up on the leash and leaves the leash relaxed enough to where if the dog wants to avoid the trigger by using natural calming signals like body turns, ignoring, sniffing, or even doing the curve, we allow that. Yeah, this is why waist leashes are my favorite thing in the entire world. I love waist leashes. (laughs) And it's so funny because the people that are in our group classes, the ones that put waist leashes on their dogs are doing 10 times better than the people that are having leashes in hand. Yeah. Now, I've not done a, an actual study on that, but maybe I should. Maybe you should do that. Because I really do see a huge difference that once the humans stop pulling and tugging on the dog, the dog is more willing to kind of pay attention and go with you. Yeah. I'm seeing that a lot of our dogs in class are actually getting to off-leash walking faster when the owners are using a waist leash. Um, I certainly did. Yeah, you're I mean, right. We're still working on a little bit, but it's definitely going a lot better. You're right, because yeah, waist that waist leash can make a huge difference. Especially for someone who has anxiety already. That's right. That runs right down the <laughs> leash. So you may even, if I asked you, hey, do you tighten up on the leash when you see another dog? Most people would say, no, I don't think so. But when you watch them, they don't even realize it. They're grabbing it with that second hand. They're pulling the dog forward. And here's another thing that I've, I've realized um, over the years, and I'm like, I've been doing this for 25 plus years. It's back in the day, people used to say, walk your dog on the left. And that's where he has to be. Mm-hmm. He cannot switch sides. And I've literally seen dogs who I've tried to get switch sides have panic attacks because they've been punished for being outside of that. Oh, wow. Yes. I had one dog who had been trained on a shot collar. Um, I tried to walk him to the right side to help him learn that number one, you can move away from something that's scary. Right. And I tried to get him to the go- walk on the right. He literally had a panic attack. He had a panic attack right there. He started freaking out. And I just... That's really sad. I know. I had to just be like, all right, dude, you go do whatever you need to do. Yeah. It is really sad because he was punished for it. And so if we allow the dog to switch sides and we don't punish for that and we give them that ability, a lot of times dogs will naturally curve away from something that's scary and if you've if you've seen our communication seminar one of the best videos is um uh, one of our volunteers for retrieving independence took a video of one of the puppies who was walking um they were walking down the sidewalk there was a grate or something metal that was on the ground and the dog was in front of her and the puppy just walked right around and curved right around it um and she didn't have to do anything yeah right so the dog right then that That right there taught the dog that if I'm uncomfortable with something, I can avoid it. Therefore, the puppy didn't feel any need to be reactive towards it because dogs are going to avoid conflict at all costs. Right. So the curve is huge. And I don't think that we use the curve as much as as we can in our daily walks with our dogs um, or really just anything with our dogs. So the curve is super important. And if you've not done the communication seminar, 
and I, and I know you guys heard it in the beginning here is that we're having a level two this Sunday, but you need to get that level one. That That's big yeah, because it can really help you understand what we're talking about with that curve. And then once you get the leash manners, the dog is good, dog is responsive, then and only then can we start working on the triggers. But working on the triggers can absolutely be a challenge because the number one rule of counter conditioning triggers is to ensure that you are managing the triggers when you're not able to counter condition. In other words, we don't want to give Britt a, a hundred bucks, um, you know, every time she sees a snake that we're there working on it. But then every other time she sees a snake, I don't give her a hundred bucks. That's going to mess up the conditioning. Mm -hmm. So then it, the dog doesn't know, am I really getting rewarded because this trigger is in view because the other times I see it. Right. I don't get anything. Now, if you've got multiple dogs at home, those dogs are probably not a trigger, right? If your best dog's best friend lives next door and they play, well, that dog's not a trigger. Mm -hmm. It may be just certain dogs that are triggers or even certain areas. Some dogs are only reactive in their neighborhood. Yeah. Not reactive when they get out because of that learned behavior. And so now the, the really the neighborhood becomes a trigger. If you've done correction, you become a trigger. If you're using a collar that corrects them, that's a trigger. And then you have the actual physical trigger. So you got four triggers right there. It's trigger stacking. So your dog, just to start in the walking in the neighborhood, is already stressed out. Mm -hmm. It's already stressed out with three things. You, the collar, and the neighborhood before they even get started with dogs. So there's a lot that you have to really manage. You've got to set it up. Finding friends to help you if it's if it's a person uh, you can easily do this like with people if your dog is reactive with people um, a lot of times dogs are going to be reactive with people not just on leash but also in the car yeah just go sit somewhere in the car right if you go sit in the car let's say in front of your favorite store and you start rewarding your dog every time you see a person and the treats go bye-bye when there are no humans in view very simple way to to counter condition that um, so with, with dogs on leash reactivity with other dogs, we're going to basically set up a good distance, have a dog that is, you know, fairly calm to be our uh, trigger helper to where they would basically step in view. And as they're in view, we're rewarding the dog highly. We're really changing that emotion. When the dog goes out of view, we stop having a party, right? So you can almost say dog in view means buffet is open, right? The yummy treats are out. Dog goes out of view. Buffet closes. Yeah. That's sad. Right? So sad. we want it to change it to where when the dog starts to see the trigger, they start looking to you for that buffet. And that's how we start that counter conditioning. It's about changing the emotion in order to change the external behavior. Now, there are 5,000 steps to this. And like I said, I can't, I can't teach you on a, on a podcast episode, but what I hope I did in this episode, and I hope what we did in this episode is to help you understand how your behavior um, can affect your dog as well as uh, just the environment in general and um, how it's, it's important that you learn what steps you need to take before you try to fix this. And of course, we totally are against board and train and trying to fix the external behavior. Because mm -hmm. I have found a lot of dogs that we get that have been through board and train, right? And then they call you mm -hmm. and they say, hey, we, we've done board and train. We sent them off for two weeks. And then he's worse, mm -hmm. right? Or now he's bitten. Well, he's, and he bit out of the blue. Not really. He bit because you suppressed all the warning signs. 
Yeah. Due to avoiding the, the corrections. Yeah. I mean, behavioral issues and board and train do not go together. Absolutely not. Uh, or any board and train that uses any type of, you know, negative uh, techniques. Techniques. Yeah. Because when we look at it, a lot of people don't understand is when we look at it, um, it's actually called positive punishment. It's where you're adding something that's very uncomfortable mm-hmm. to um, decrease a behavior. Right. And it's so funny how I help people. I hear, I hear people. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear people talk about, well, a shock collar doesn't hurt or a prong collar doesn't hurt if you use it correctly. Guys, the whole premise of it is if it didn't hurt, it wouldn't work. That's that's the whole premise yeah. of positive punishment. If it's not uncomfortable to the dog, then it won't work. Mm-hmm. Right? So if me yelling at my dog, if I'm yelling at my dog or let's say, you know, let's use an, an old example. Um, well, we can just use the collar example. That's fine. Let's say that you have a big dog, let's say husky, because husky has a lot of hair, Mm -hmm. right? You put a prong collar on a husky, and you try to correct that dog with a prong collar. Now, with that dog's hair, more than likely, that dog is not really going to feel the discomfort of the collar. Therefore, it's not going to work, (laughs) because the whole premise of it is to feel the discomfort when the dog pulls. So, guys, if you're using prong collars, choke chains, shock collars, the whole point of them is to cause pain and discomfort to stop a behavior. So if anybody tells you if used correctly, it does not harm the dog, then they either A, are lying, or B, they absolutely do not understand the concept of training, science-based training. <laughs> All right, so um, avoid that. Please avoid that. I think it's important too to, and, I, and we may have already mentioned this on another podcast, um, these tools are outlawed in other countries. Yes. They're, they're not allowed. Trainers are not allowed to use these. And you certainly cannot use them if you're the general public. Whereas here you can go to any yep. large store and buy them. Yep. Uh, they're, they're illegal for a reason. Exactly. Um, you know, like we were saying at the beginning of this podcast, if, if Nikki were to hold me down in a situation that's uncomfortable to me that that's abuse and, and not just physical right more importantly it is emotional, emotional. mentally yeah. and and i think it's important to look at that and to and to mention that even if we've already mentioned it i think it's important to mention that again there's a reason why exactly they're not allowed that's my two cents on that i i'm so glad you brought that up because you're right i, I think it's one of those that it's worth mentioning constantly um, it is outlawed in other countries. They are outlawed. Um, trainers cannot use them. Uh, trainers are actually more regulated in other countries than here. Mm-hmm. Anyone can call themselves a trainer. Um, you know, someone can say, I have, I, I have this business and I've been, um, there's 30 years experience on this business. When in actuality, that 30 years of the business is actually because it's a franchise, but the person that owns that franchise has only been trading for a year. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it, we're not regulated here. Uh, we can use any tools we want. Anybody can call themselves a trainer. So you have to be really careful, yeah. um, which is why I think a lot of my episodes, I want to make sure that I'm educating the public on things like that. Uh, because 
um, it is definitely something that we are way behind on here in the United States if we don't regulate our trainers and we are still allowed to use um, those horrible tools that are not needed. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what people say. Um, I have been on both sides of it. I used to use those tools. Thank God I only used them for a year. But um, I'll never go back and I never see a reason. I, th I think maybe a handful of times in my 25 years I've recommended an e-collar. Uh, to a client, but I recommended them to find someone who knew how to use it because it was a life or death situation. Right. And in that situation too, I think it's important to note that you also mentioned to them, this should be used one time and that's it. Yeah. If it's going to work, you should yeah. only have to, to zap three or four times. This isn't something you should keep on your dog all Correct. the time. Whereas, you know, you see, you do see dogs like living in a shock collar. Yep. Um, yeah, you're right. If it's going to work, you should have to use it less than half a dozen times, yeah. which is why the timing has to be perfected on that so you don't have fallout behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and I think probably the last time I recommended it was a, um, a little beagle that would chase wildlife on this huge farm and which could have been very dangerous for this beagle. Like... Yeah. Um, they could, I mean, the, the animals that the beagle was chasing could have killed them. Yeah. These weren't just deer and bunnies. Yeah. So, um, that was one I recommended finding, um, usually a trainer who, uh, trains hunting dogs. They will typically know how to use an e-collar appropriately, but again, only using it a few times to teach exactly what you want. So I think we'll wrap it up there because I know we got two dogs that are barking in the living room and Jake, our older dog, is looking out this window and at any minute he could start barking. <laughs> so we should probably wrap this up. Um, but I think today was excellent. Um, I'm so glad that you joined me on this. I'm trying to get her to join me more as more of a co-host instead of just a special guest because I know you guys probably get tired of just listening to me talk. And when she's on, I actually talk slower. So I'm not like running through things as quickly. And maybe it's more pleasant. I'm just, that's where I'm going to go with. It's just, you know, my accent. I speak a lot, <laughs> a lot slower than most people in general, I think. Yeah, that is true. And we are actually doing this podcast without drinking today. Oh my gosh, I just realized. We that are is, both very sober today. That Not that we've been drunk in the last half. <laughs> I should probably it, say that. That makes it sound like we were just um, But we usually drink when we're doing this. We sit across the table and we drink and we have a good time. But um, yeah, we did this one completely sober. So maybe the next one we'll have a beverage with That's it. impressive. That is impressive. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, and I do hope that if you have any leash reactivity issues, um, reach out to us. We can help you if you're local. If you're not local, we can still do Zoom consults. Uh, we do have some online courses that you can take through Udemy. Um, but we can also help you find a positive trainer in your area that does not use those tools. Or if you are looking around, always look for someone who uses positive only force-free methods. Do not go with anyone who uses aversive techniques, and that includes those trainers that call themselves balanced trainers, because balanced trainers will also use those tools, but they call themselves balanced because they'll also use food for treats, uh, but you're still creating the same issues. So that's what I got. I hope you guys, and because the dog's going crazy in there, um, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week, and I hope to see you all uh, maybe on a Zoom Someday, uh, when we're doing our communication seminars. Like next weekend. Or like next weekend. Or actually this weekend. Or this week. Well, um, yeah. Or just our Patreon. 
Uh, we can do some, you know, personal stuff on our Patreon stuff. So we love you guys. We appreciate you. Brett, thanks for being on again. Thanks for having me. And we will see you guys soon.